Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, brought to you by Roast House Pub, one of Frederick's finest craft beer and culinary destinations, where great people come to drink amazing beer. Visit them to track their taps and menu at roasthousepub.com or download the digital pour app to track what's on tap. Hello, I'm your host, Chris Sands, and this morning I hopped in my car, I drove uh, three and a half hours up to the east side of Pittsburgh to meet up with Scott Smith at his brewery, East End Brewing Company. Scott is the founder and owner, and uh, thank you for hosting me. Yeah, thanks for coming up, Chris. So you are really one of the original craft brewers in the Pittsburgh area, is that right? You're just saying I'm old is what you're saying, right? Basically, but I'm I'm old also, so I don't feel as bad (laughs) saying that. Like typically I'm interviewing people much younger than me. (laughs) Well, we, I was there certainly not uh, not the first. Um, uh, the the ones that were in operation when I started in the that are in the Pittsburgh area or in in the city of Pittsburgh uh, limits uh, were uh, Penn Brewery and the Church Brew Works, and those guys are still still doing what they've been doing. Um, but like all of us, you know, they continue to reinvent themselves and and move in different directions. So. Um, not not first, but like they say, the second mouse gets the cheese. Yeah, know? but I mean, it's, it's still <laughs> very very early on in the the craft beer scene of Pittsburgh because it it also in general Pittsburgh seems to lag be lagging a little bit in that. Um, yeah, that's and, that's been kind of a you know when I before we started I I had lived in Chicago and San Francisco and in a small town in Virginia and. Uh, the beer scenes in Chicago and and out west were certainly w- much further along than um, than it was in Pittsburgh when I came back home. There was good beer being served, but um, the the local producers were, were were it was a small number, and nobody was really making styles of beer that I was excited about uh, at the time. So, do you think the recently changed laws with how you can purchase uh, packaged product led to that a little bit? Because I know, like when when I first moved to Maryland, um, actually it was several years after I moved there, it was really when Flying Dog moved to Frederick yeah, that yeah. I really started to get into craft beer because when they moved there, um, you could go there every weekend and they started out, they didn't charge anything. Right, right. You took a tour and then you could have as many samples as you <laughs> right, want. Right, yeah, we operated so, in, the, in a much of a similar uh, way for a number of years at our original location. And that was completely counter to what the law said you could do. But they, Right, yeah, <laughs> there is that whole illegality aspect. But uh, So that uh, um, that's what originally got me into craft beer. And then what I would do is go to one of the bottle shops or someplace in right. Frederick, and you could buy, at a lot of them, you could buy mixed six packs. Right. So it was really easy to try a lot of different things. So I, I always kind of thought maybe why Pittsburgh was behind, because you don't really want to go buy a case of something to try it. Yeah, we would we would refer to that as the uh, the 23 bottle problem. <laughs> you know, you buy a case, you drink one, and you go, what am I gonna do with the rest of this? And, hey, uh, friends, you guys want some beer? Uh, come over to my house. Um, so we, so that that draconian case law of Pennsylvania that has since softened um, was actually what drove, I think, a lot of traffic to our original location. We were all about sampling, all about trying something new, getting that feedback direct from the person who's drinking the beer, and um, uh, and educating the consumer at the same time. I mean, we had people coming into our old, you know, location in Homewood. This unmarked building. I was there. Sketchy, sketchy situation coming in and and 
making their way down to the bottom of the ramp where the equipment was and we, we had you know a couple of keg coolers set up people tasting uh, beer and saying ipa is that pennsylvania is that, is that what that means and i'm like wow how did you get how did you get here and not have that information in your head already yeah. you know how did you manage to get through all of these barriers that we've unintentionally erected um before you got into this room to to say that i thought it was just a bunch of beer people that would come well, i know too, like because i when did you open what year was it uh 2004 um, so i it was probably we didn't open open our doors to the public until 05 so the first time i went there was probably around that time my brother-in-law took me there yeah and you're right it's not you would you needed to seek it out to get there right yeah and even and once you arrived generally people were not convinced that they were in the right place so um we would uh originally i i would write um eebc with a pen on a piece of cardboard and tape that to the door because i wanted something that i could remove when we weren't open so i would like tape it up every day that we were open and rip it off and put it away at night and I didn't want to write brewing company because I felt like it was the neighborhood was kind of sketchy and I didn't really want to put a target on my back like, yeah. all the time. But for the few hours that we were open, yeah, come on in. Uh, and then we eventually upgraded to uh, writing on the door with a Sharpie, East End Brewing Company. <laughs> um, and then later on, I added my cell phone number to that door. <laughs> Uh, which was the brewery's that, main number. That had to generate some interesting phone calls. Yeah, well, I, well, the, the bigger issue was I had that cell number on, um, on our growlers because uh, that was the main brewery line. Who else, you know, you're not going to talk to the front desk. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm the only guy. Um, so I had, we had, you know, a few thousand growlers out in circulation with my personal cell number on it, which is a little weird for a while. I'll have to check. I have some of your original clear ones. Yeah. I'll have to check to see if it has your yeah, number they all, Yeah, and we've, we've since ported that over to the brewery main number, and I have a different number. But um, we actually didn't make that change until, a, until we moved into this location. So that was eight years that cell number was, was the one on the website and the one on the growlers. So, yeah. So let's rewind a little bit. What were you doing before you started East End? So I um, I came out of out of college with a, an engineering degree, and uh, that seems to be a very common path. Yeah, to yeah. And, and maybe the maybe there's a DIY aspect to um, people with a, an engineering brain or something um, uh, that that you know solving problems and and the the idea like hey i think i can figure this out yeah you have to be able to fix a lot of things right it just i'm, I'm a mechanical and engineer which means i'm a lousy mechanic and a really <laughs> bad electrician but but you know you you fake your way through what you can um so I, like i said i worked for a big fortune 500 company for uh, uh 13 years out of school uh moved in a bunch of different places did a lot of business travel um with that that job and then um eventually came back to Pittsburgh um, to take a job with a different company. Then after about six weeks of it, I quit and said, I need to do something else. So <clears throat> what is it that got you into brewing? Well, I had been, when I, when I finally quit my day job, um, I had been home brewing for about nine years um, prior to that. And taking a look around at the Pittsburgh beer scene and seeing what we had seen elsewhere in Chicago and San Francisco, um, not so much in Lynchburg, Virginia, but in big cities anyway, um, there was an interest in craft beer, or at, at the time we didn't call it that, we called it 
micro brews or or small brewers or, or whatever the language was at the time um but there there weren't a whole lot of local producers you know Penn brewery was really focused on german styles uh lots of lagers um staying true to that to that um model that that um that ethos if you will um church brew works at the time was really focused on uh being a brew pub um they have a massive restaurant space and a lot of seats to fill nobody was really doing hop hoppier stuff or you know a yeah, big, took, big robust stout or anything like that there wasn't anything like that it took them around. forever to come out with an ipa yeah 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 so uh both breweries you know it took it the, they definitely had a uh uh, late adopters uh, to it. Um, so, so my notion was maybe I can crack my way into this and I'm going to come at the business from the, uh, the least profitable way possible <laughs> by, uh, uh, selling a keg to a bar. Um, so that way I get the tiniest of all the margins of anyone in the supply chain. Um, and then added a, added a distributor to that, um, which, which, you know, further, further diluted that, but allowed me to do things other than run kegs around town all day every day so um so yeah it uh so i, I set a goal for uh for what i was willing to pay and this was i had no money so i took whatever life savings we had and you know bought some magic beans and a and some <laughs> some some brewing equipment from one of the two brew pubs that had uh closed in the previous year um and got that for a good price and started work on putting the brewery together. Um, but I had set a goal to try to find a place that I could rent uh, with the zoning that I needed. Um, and the goal I set was a thousand bucks a month or less for rent. And I found a place for 600. Nice. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to, I was going to uh, guess that the overhead at that location was <laughs> probably not too out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the notion was never to create a place that was a destination for beer drinkers or a, or a, um, a place that the public would ever step into. The notion was a, a place to, to be a, a production operation. Um, I don't, the few times I went there, though, there was always a line of people there to get yeah. growlers. Yeah, it definitely um, became that quickly um, before I realized what was going on. I mean, once we I, – I didn't even – have um the sale of growlers in the original business plan you know i never expected to sell to the to the beer drinker at all um just to sell to the to the bars and restaurants so so when um when people started coming to the brewery and all i could offer them was a free sample or a keg to take home um i was like something's gotta i gotta i gotta change this somehow because nobody you know the the, the casual yeah. beer drinker doesn't want to take a keg home with uh, uh when they're popping into a place um so I kind of discovered by accident that um, selling growlers was within my license. And uh, there were growlers in Pittsburgh, but they were generally the containers were super high priced. Just an empty container would be like 20 bucks in a wow. bar um, before you put any beer into it. And, uh, and then Phillips, they would basically price that at the price of, you know, a pint um, times four or times five. Yeah. Um, so, you know. 20 bucks for a jug and 25 bucks for a fill up is a kind yeah. of a tough. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to go through yeah. many of that. You're not going to. Yeah. And, and, and because you're only selling two growlers a year, you're, you know, you can't purchase any in quantity to get a better price on, on what you're buying. So I found out that growlers could, could work for our license and started doing it on um, two days a week. And then that slowly built up to, uh, to, to where we are now in terms of six days a week. And I always found it interesting that 
when you started out, you went with clear growlers. Yeah. This, and I, I think I remember you made a blog post with the reasoning behind it. Yeah. It? And we, and right about when we switched and moved to this location, um, is when we switched to Amber. Um, and, and a lot of it was about where the, the consumer was at the time. Um, people would bring growlers in that were, that were not clean. Um, and I'm using that very generously, uh, <laughs> uh, science experiments, uh, uh, growlers that have literally like hair growing inside them and saying, oh, oh, just, just, you know, put the beer in the beer will kill that. It's like, well, that's not really the way Actually, it's kind of the it other, it's kind of the other <laughs> yeah. way around. Uh, so, so having a clear container that you can hold up to the light and go, yeah, I can feel good about putting beer in this. It passes the sniff test and I can give a visual inspection. Um, or give it a quick rinse. Um, that was that was uh, the desire. But of course, everybody knows now that uh, that clear glass is no good for for keeping the light off the beer, um, unless you like Heineken. Right, unless <laughs> if that's your desire to is yeah. to, uh, to 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 have a beer that's uh, that's that's skunky. Um, that can that can certainly be arranged. Yeah. So even in, even in Pittsburgh, where the sun you know isn't always shining. Yeah, I would. That was one of. Um, the stark differences when I moved out of the Pittsburgh area that I didn't realize that it would be bright so often <laughs> and it, the, that gray isn't a normal right. color for an yeah. environment. Yeah. We've painted this room Pittsburgh sky, <laughs> uh, uh, to, uh, to sort of lean into that. Um, yeah, there's, uh, uh, the guys at Commonwealth press, um, uh, they actually have a t-shirt that is a Pantone color. So if there's any like, know graphic design geeks and they know about pantone coloring um it's basically a reference number on a color he did a did a uh, an aggregation of pittsburgh sky over a course of a period of time and came up with a color and it's a shirt a black t-shirt with a big gray square on that's it. that's hilarious number, a number on it so yeah, yeah yeah very very pittsburgh it's definitely always a some sort of shade of gray <laughs> except for what like maybe five six days a year yeah right you get a little window in there in the spring and maybe one in the fall yeah so I can't help but notice, though, you never mentioned um, Iron City during any of that time of talking about great yeah. Pittsburgh beers. Yeah, yeah, that um, I've I've been asked uh, <laughs> uh, by by reporters and things like, "What do you think of Iron City?" And it's like, well, it tastes like my youth. Yeah. Is the is the 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 best way to put it, I'd say. See, my my youth tasted like Rolling Rock and Milwaukee's is best. So, yeah. like, I don't. Yeah, like, yeah, those were in the mix too. Maybe Milwaukee's best was the later, later youth. Um, but yeah, Iron City and Rolling Rock were the were the, the go tos, and still until we discovered Straub and and yeah. uh, some other regional players. Um, but you know, and also Iron City's not made in Pittsburgh anymore. They you know took a lot of money from the city. I've got a lot of baggage um, uh, when uh, when I when I think about the the progression of what happened there um with uh uh their exit of uh, of of from the pittsburgh area as a producer firing everybody at the plant and uh after taking a bunch of money from the city to like reinvest in their mechanicals there so yeah it's kind of kind of not uh yeah i'm kind of i'm not kinda, a happy pittsburgh beer so yeah i'm kind of i'm kind of done with that beer i don't really need it in my world anymore and so we're going to take a real quick break to uh, thank our sponsors, uh, the people who make the Uncapped uh, podcast possible. 
A huge thank you to our presenting sponsor, Roast House Pub, which is located at 5700 Urbana Pike in Frederick, Maryland. If you have listened to this podcast before, you have definitely heard me go on and on about the beer dinners that Chef Nico creates. Simply put, they are amazing. But Roast House Pub has much more to offer. Their friendly staff is knowledgeable about beer and will help you choose from among the 20 beers they have on tap. In addition to the awesome beer selection, the food is always amazing. Make sure to follow them on Facebook and check their website at www.roasthousepub.com to keep up to date on their constant stream of events. And thank you to our supporting sponsor, Craft Alliance Packaging Solutions. Craft Alliance Packaging Solutions has been serving the craft beverage industry since 2012 and prides itself in helping their customers excel in a constantly growing industry. From concept to cooler, Caps offers solutions to your packaging needs, providing mobile bottling services, technical support, keg repair, rental bright tanks, and much more. It is their goal to help you grow your brand and your business and make your product stand out. Be different, look different. For more information, visit capsbottles.com. All right, so where um, where and how did you first get into craft beer? So what was your first craft beer that you really enjoyed? Um, Boy, now the definition of craft also uh, is a little slippery, too. Like, when was my first experience with beer that wasn't like an American light lager? Yeah. Probably, to put it that way. I think it was probably drinking um, uh, pints of Guinness at a place called the the Brick House Tavern in State College, uh, PA. Um, out of a mason jar, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> I, that's how they prefer to have it. Uh, right. That's what. Also. That's how. That's how they do it that's in a Dublin. Traditional. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. In a in a, in a, a low ceiling, uh, uneven floor, sketchy place that's uh, about to be torn down, um, in a in a almost clean mason jar. Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. I actually just last night I wrote an article that will be printed on Thursday where I list Guinness as my stepping stone yeah. into craft beer. Or yeah. the first time I had real beer was a Guinness. Right, right. Yeah, and so, I mean, there were others uh, that in uh, in my formative years that were a little bit weird, you know. Um, uh, Yingling has a beer called uh, Lord Chesterfield Ale, uh, oh, yeah. which uh, was is actually kind of a hoppy beer um, uh, in its in its day. Um, if, and it's still produced now. I actually had some at a brewer's conference, uh, a brewer's symposium uh, about a year or so ago. And I'm like, wow, this tastes really like bright and citrus. Like, what's going on? Uh, but that's the first time I had had it in 30 years or something. Um, but, uh, yeah, we used to say we were spending the evening with the Lord. <laughs> I wonder if um, how Yingling is faring through the shifts of the beer industry right now if they still continue to grow in popularity or if they've had a hit. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't, uh, I know that, you know, some of the, 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 the big players in craft circles have, uh, have had some, some, um, rough years. I wouldn't say rough year. Maybe their growth has been less. I don't know if they've actually seen decline, but like, yeah, you know, guys, weird. all guys those like, charts they, that get put out, yeah. it's always just like, it, none of them are actually giving numbers where you can tell. Right. Yeah. Is there it's a all decline like, or yeah, is it just like, a well, shifting is it just, of, are you just sunshine and rainbows or yeah. are, are we giving like, you know, the bad news too? Um, but like, you know, a brewery like Sierra Nevada, who's, who's, um, uh, I'd, I'd put the quality of their beer up against any, any producer in the world, uh, in terms of consistency and shelf life and, and just 
incredible quality beer. I know they've taken a hit. You know, you don't see a lot of Sierra Nevada pale ale on tap around town as you as you used to see. Um, and and I've come to refer to that as like friendly fire, right? Like, so the small brewers are coming up, and they're they're it's a it's a reaction to big beer. But um, now we're so small brewer and local focused. We also um, have have kind of forgotten about um, these legacy National craft producers, and regional yeah, craft that. brands. And so they've they've you know they've definitely taken a hit. Um, where Yingling is in that, I'm not sure. Um, they seem to be everywhere. Yeah. Um, and their volume, I think they cracked a million barrel. I don't, I don't Three. know. Three? Okay. Yeah, All right. So I'm, look, I'm looking at old, yeah, old, would, old information. I was just looking at, I think it was numbers from 2016, mm-hmm. and they're listed as the number one because they shifted American things owned. around yeah. to classify them as a craft brewer. Right. So they were listed, I believe they were listed as the number one craft brewer, yeah. then Sam Adams, then Sierra Nevada. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that, that being... Um, that they're that they're up there yeah that's it's certainly uh, prevalent in this in this state yeah and um, it's, they're an interesting case too and where they have such a small footprint that they sell so much into right yeah and they're not they're not national are they no they're, they're, I they're believe like, like 13 states yeah and they're producing in florida and they're producing in pa um but you know what? Uh, as uh, as as big breweries go, um, you know I'm on the board of directors for the Brewers of Pennsylvania, our state brewers guild, and uh, and Yingling has a has a spot on that on that board. So um, the benefit is the dues, the membership dues to the organization are based on barrelage. I said, and and <laughs> and all the breweries get one vote per brewery. So that's really kind of spectacular that they choose to play in the sandbox with us little guys um and then we can actually benefit from the lobbying power of an actual funded organization yeah. so we can we can push some things ahead in harrisburg how um how cohesive is the the craft beer industry in pennsylvania because like maryland's a much smaller state so yeah. the the breweries in maryland for the most part are pretty close with each other they're it's a cohesive family. Yeah, it's it's that's that way in, okay. in in PA as well, uh, and certainly in the Pittsburgh area. And I, you know, I'm I'm a big proponent of that. Um, I had a lot of people helping me when I was um, uh, getting started, and I like to you know pay that pay that. Is that paying it forward? That's paying it backwards. Right. Paying it back. I don't know. Uh, someone's getting like something, to, and everyone's right. do, getting uh, benefiting. <laughs> right. From yeah. It. So it's it's you know the rising tide and all boats and 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 all of that. But. Um, uh, we all, you know, everybody's kind of been through this this hazing process of getting everything done that needs to get done to start a brewery. Uh, so by the time you've been through that bit of trauma, you now have an automatic camaraderie with others who have been through similar traumas. So, um, yeah, it's great. I mean, we, we share a lot of ingredients and equipment and, and uh, um, you know, we're washing kegs for another brewery. I just saw somebody picking up here today because uh, we got a highfalutin keg washer now. We don't have to wash them by hand, um, and uh, and and you know we're grabbing a pitch of yeast or grain or trading hops or whatever it takes. Yeah, it's cool to hear because that's a lot of um, actually not even a lot. Pretty much every single one of the newer breweries that I have on 
I'll yeah. list all their yeah. neighbor breweries that have helped them tremendously yeah. along yeah. the way to open. And we're all here for the same reason because we're all really passionate about the beverage. You know, that's the that's the fundamental piece. And you know, uh, talking to guys that have that have now opened after we have. You know, I was I was texting with uh, Gary from Hitchhiker uh, last week. Um, you know, they certainly opened after we did, and I offered some guidance to them over the years. And um, they've got a canning canning line and. You know, we do all ours through mobile canning. So I'm like, hey, how do you like that equipment? Tell me about that. He's like, well, I would get this different. I would do this. So it's, he's like, come over to a canning run and see how it goes. You know, um, so all, it's, it's really valuable information. And, and I know it's been said before, but it bears saying again, there's, it's unlike any other industry. I, I, I dare you or your listeners to, <laughs> to, to come up with uh, another, you know, uh, a maker of shoes that says, "Hey, there's this other shoe company starting up across town. Uh, let me go. Let me go borrow some laces from that. I don't. I'm making shit up yeah, now. But yeah. um, let me go. Let me go get some some um, some learnings from from my my competitor. Um, it it doesn't exist. It's it's not something that I've seen in any other kind of industry at all. Yeah, it was, I was actually going to say the exact same thing before you did that. Yeah. It's just this weird. Uh, relationship where you help your direct competitors yeah it's not even like so in, i work at a newspaper in the newspaper industry newspapers help each other out a lot too right but right. we're not direct competitors most of the time right. it's usually right. a newspaper that's a state away or right. someplace right. Like exactly you're yeah. helping people that are a block yeah. away <laughs> and we're and honestly we're you know i people are like uh talking about all the breweries popping into pittsburgh you know we've got last now, the number I have in my head is 34 operating breweries in the Pittsburgh area, uh, which is an insane number. Or that's actually in Allegheny County, um, although I think that number has come up in the last few months. Um, it's, higher, it's a higher count than any county in the state of Pennsylvania, and we are certainly not the most populous county. Um, but that said, we're creating a beer scene. We're creating a destination. We're creating something that everybody benefits from. If a brewery wants to open up down the street from where we're, we're sitting right now, I welcome that. That's wonderful because yeah. then someone's going to go, oh, there's like two breweries right in the same area. We can go and hit both of those yeah. places. You know, it's more appealing than if I'm just here on an outpost by myself. Yeah, yeah the and the, there's definitely one thing that uh, Pittsburghers are known for is their ability to drink. Oh, I thought you were going to say French fries on the sandwiches. But. That too, but um, also their... Uh, ability and urge to drink yeah yeah the um the draft beer consumption rate uh in southwestern pennsylvania is uh, uh above the national average uh, by a by a healthy margin that was one of the one of the few bits of research i did before opening east end was looking at some of that data um and it's a draft beer focused area and certainly craft beer drinkers are draft focused Maybe we're more can focused now. That's probably a more more recent. Um, you know, if it's not in a can. Why am I even talking yeah. about it? Um, but uh, I think that comes from the city's roots with Iron City being here, and and you know, you had two kinds of beer on tap when you went into a bar, both Iron City and Icy Light. Um, and so draft was what people typically think about. So coming in, coming in, and opening up as a draft only operation, that was a useful a useful uh, bit of demographic data. Yeah, I, I, a company I worked for when I still lived in the area, we, there was a group of guys sent out to California 
they were sitting at a, t- at a bar drinking yeah. and someone came up to them and asked them if they were from Pittsburgh and they were like, why you, you could hear our accents or what like, right. And they're like, no, no one can drink like you people. <laughs> that's an interesting yeah. uh, aspect. Yeah. Uh, it's, I suppose that has a, a certain, certain pride associated with that, I suppose. Uh, yeah. In some, at some level, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So I, I, one of the, um, really interesting things I think you did was how you um, some of the funding you used for how to uh, open this location yeah can you tell tell us about the yeah it was the good beer program good good beer investor program yeah so we um, so we had been operating uh, again we opened back in uh, 2004 I think looking, I was looking through my email um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think I started shopping for a new building in 2006. I was already like, okay, this isn't going <laughs> to, this isn't going to do it for, for too long. We need to do something, uh, do something better, bigger, better to our, more suited to our needs. Well, especially um, like the tap room, I'll, I'll do air quotes. <laughs> yeah, that's a very generous term for what <laughs> was, was over there. It was probably like a two people wide area. Yeah, if, if we had like, if there were 15 people in there and someone else came to the door, somebody had to get out <laughs> before somebody could get in and don't even talk about the fire marshal and that <laughs> old building. That building's gone, so, you know, hopefully the statute of limitations <laughs> has expired as well. Um, but the, uh, uh, we knew we, we needed to make a, make a move, so we purchased this building. Um, and then in the run-up to getting this outfitted, um, doing all the construction, pouring, uh, pouring concrete in here, uh, gutting basically the whole brew side of the building um, little by little. And then we basically had to purchase a brand new brew house and set of equipment to operate here, bigger than what we had before. But we had to, I didn't want to sell the old stuff stop production you know yeah. we got draft accounts it's a weird to, to feed juggling you know? act. yeah so best to just start with a brand new build and then sell off the old assets afterwards so we had this like we were saving our money saving our money had enough to make the building purchase but then we had this big equipment spend so that was going to be this big like valley of capital and we need to just hit your microphone uh <laughs> valley of, of of capital resources that we'd have to to get across because we would earn the money back but it's just we needed we needed a loan, and this brewery has never had a bank loan. We've never, we've never had a uh, any, and we've never had a mortgage. We've never, you know, owned our vehicles, all the equipment. I don't really operate with financing hanging over my head. It's just not my nature. I'm sure there's a somebody with an MBA out there that says that's dumb. Yeah, money's cheap. Why are you why are you doing that? But but um, then you could look at uh, places like Green Flash, right. who uh, went the right. opposite route. Yeah, and a little too big, no too longer, fast, yeah. and then yeah, and then then what happens? The house of cards fall. So, yeah, if things start getting soft, we can we can weather it here because uh, I don't have a a banker knocking on my door. Uh, so anyway, so this is the longest description of a uh, of a crowdfunding <laughs> scenario. So so we had we had um, about. Uh, I'm going to say four fifths of the money together that we needed to do this. And we were still, you know, socking money in, but we had, a, we were short about a hundred thousand dollars. And so we started this good beer investor program because we had a lot of people coming into the old place that would like taste the beers and go, wow, these are, this, this is really, these are good beers, but look around the room and go, do you guys need some investors? <laughs> like do you need, <laughs> and, and I got to, at first I was like, you know, bristling at that. And then I realized, no, these are people that are genuinely trying to help us make yeah. the step to the next level. 
and I always, you know, my wife and I are the are the owners. We don't have any other investors involved in in Which is such a rare at all uh, nowadays. Especially yeah, because I very rare. I I, I didn't want to have a relationship to manage, and you know, something that seems some way on the on the surface, and then as you move ahead, things get. I, I didn't want to have all those pressures. So, as long as my wife and I can stay on the same page, yeah, we're uh, we're we're in good shape. So so. I kept saying to my wife, like, hey, there's people that want to invest. There's people that want to invest. And she's like, but we don't want investors. Why are you even thinking about that? I'm like, there's something here. There's something I can't quite. It took me probably close to two years to, to hatch a plan that I then had to show to her and, and convince her was, was legitimate enough. So, so we basically sold, and it's simple enough, we sold um, $1,000. Um, what we would now we would just do it with gift cards, but basically beer money voucher packs. Um, basically, I, the argument was, hey, you're getting a growler from us about once a week. So how about if you take all of the beer you're going to get from us in the next two years and you write the check for that now, and then we'll give you some vouchers and you can still redeem over the next two years. And if after after three years, if you don't redeem those, bring them back in and we'll write you a check and pay you back in cash full amount of what you put in. And uh, and you get you know and a T-shirt and we'll have a you know grand opening event and and you get first dibs on new releases for a few years and um, and we and we we did minimum of one thousand dollar blocks because I didn't want to have a thousand investors <laughs> to manage relationships with yeah um, so we got a hundred uh, and actually I had some people that were angry at me because um, we sold through them and they didn't get to invest. Um, because yeah, um, if I remember correctly, you sold them through them pretty quickly. They did. Ha- it did happen pretty quickly. Yeah, we had one guy that um, got his, and we had all the beer vouch- the beer money vouchers printed up. Um, he got his, either drank them or spread them around to friends or coworkers <laughs> or whatever, and then he re-upped um, <laughs> before before, we, and he got in just before we uh, we filled all the slots. Uh, but it was a fan- fantastic uh, notion. It's basically like I'm going to use our, our, our customers as a means of helping us with this little bridge loan. And we probably had about, I think, over the last few years, occasionally we'll get somebody that says, hey, I'm moving away. I still have another $260 in vouchers. Can you still you know, redeem? Can I still get cash for those? Because I'm not going to be buying beer in Pittsburgh anymore. I'm like, sure, send it in. Um, so we've had maybe, I think, five or six people cash out. Um, we had a couple people that cashed out. They weren't even in Pittsburgh. They'd never been to the brewery. They never had the beer. Just wanted to help you. They out. like wrote a check for a thousand dollars blindly, sent it to some, you know, jackass in Pittsburgh, <laughs> and uh, he did God knows what with it. And then, um, and then after after two years or whatever the time, I think it was three years was the term. He's like, hey, yeah, I'll take that, take that back now. Here's the here's and it was like un, unopened. That's so, per- that's awesome though. It's like, crazy. It just- it's insane. I I still remember. Um, uh, being in the old place and a couple came in and I hadn't seen them before and I'm like oh you guys new to town they're like oh we're from Ohio I'm like oh great how'd you find us here and they did not look the part you know he was in like a, a pink uh, golf shirt and plaid shorts and she was dressed you know a little a little they, they weren't in like brewery casual yeah. you know uh, they didn't really look like um, super beer people and like oh yeah we're from Ohio I'm like oh wow you found so you've been have you heard about us she's like oh yeah well we're your we're a couple of your good beer investors like, you've <laughs> never been here before never had the beer and and you wrote a check at least they actually came to a visit the one yeah. guy uh, was from new york he never even uh, uh 
set foot in the place. I wonder how yeah. they did you ask them how they even heard about it? Uh, you know, and we, I, I, I did, but I don't, I don't even, I mean, we were still operating with a very rudimentary email newsletter, you know, no pictures, no, just text. Um, when we, we don't advertise, we have a website, but you know, and all that stuff is spelled out on the website and how we did it. We actually still keep that page open because I get a lot of other breweries saying, hey, didn't you do a thing? So it's up, you know, it's still at eastendbrewing.com slash invest. So it's got an FAQ page with uh -huh. all of the details on it. We may end up doing another one when it's time to buy a canning line of our own. But um, I'm just happy to share that, that, you know, it was kind of, Kickstarter, Kickstarter was around, but it wasn't. It wasn't really like a trusted thing yeah. yet, I don't think. It was yeah, and I, and I also looked at the math on the Kickstarter, and it's like, wow, so if it all gets funded, here's how much Kickstarter takes out of the yeah. top. And I'm like, you know what, I'm either going to... And, and it was the only... There, there wasn't a partially funded option. There was yeah. either an all or none. And I didn't know if I'd get... I had no idea what we'd get getting into it. So I'm like, well, I can still move ahead if I get $90,000. So I'm not going to touch that Kickstarter thing, so... Um, but yeah, it's, I have no idea how people found out about it, if it was all just word of mouth, um, or maybe we just hit it at a time before there were so many breweries in the landscape that it's, uh, uh, it's more, they were, we were more audible uh, yeah. than, than we would be doing it today. Yeah, I think I, I, was, I had either signed up for your newsletter or my brother-in-law like, sent me uh, about that. Um, I wonder, were there, was, were there any news outlets that had done stories um, about... I'm sure the Post Gazette. I think I think Bob Batts from the Post Gazette uh, did a piece on it. Um, so that stuff can have a have a, a life of its own because then it lives, you know, in a, in a news outlet's yeah. uh, web page forever. Um, but yeah, there were there were a couple of people that did some coverage on it. it might have even made into some of the the you know Great Lakes Brewing News or something like that. Um, but yeah, yeah, the the, uh, the response was kind of insane. Happened really fast, and then we were there. So there was. So the biggest stresses were like, how do we print beer money that's not counterfeitable? <laughs> so, oh yeah, that's a because it's it, like you're printing money. Yeah. Uh, so we used like check paper, and we went to a local letterpress shop, a friend of mine. Um, so the, the the paper was like embossed with uh, you know you could you give it a feel test to see if it was real. Did you have um, anyone try to come in with counterfeit ones? No, no, nothing, nothing like that ever happened. You you know you put those measures out there, and someone's like you know holding it up to the. I don't think there was the the check paper had a watermark on it, but they'd have to find that you know special paper and what have you. Um, we had a, uh, one or two get lost in the postal service because we mailed them out to people when they paid, and those just went into the into the ether. So who knows? There might be a postal carrier out there with a thousand dollars of beer money in his pocket, gonna come in here and cash out someday. But um, but yeah, it, uh, um, that was like the biggest headache was finding a way to, to to execute that. So do you still have people coming in with them now, or is that? Yeah, there's still uh, we still get a little bit, and some we may have like a newer bartender or something uh, working the bar, and they're like, "What's this beer money thing that somebody came in with? It says East End Brewing on it," and then they have to like explain to them like, "Yeah, this is my last one," or it'd be uh, like uh, trying to pay for something to right. a teenager with a two dollar bill, <laughs> right? Like, oh yeah, right. Yeah, that's funny. Take that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Now, let me give you. Let me. Yeah. Have now your can you pay card. for it? Yeah. <laughs> right. So when um, when did the doors to this facility open? Um, I'm not very good with uh, remembering these things. Um, you can narrow it down to whatever uh, the smallest time I frame. I think we're somewhere around 
2013. I know it was on election day uh, was when we first opened our doors here. Uh, and that was, you know, we got, we got the beer made. We got um, uh, the bar constructed. We've got the draft system working, and we opened. And that's about <laughs> all we had. So the room was pretty rough. There were no tables and chairs. We weren't a pub yet. Um, but we basically just moved our growler growler hours from the old location to, to this one. And then once we made our first batch here, we never went back and brewed at the old place again. We kind of had this notion that we were going to operate in both for a time. And when you can make twice as much beer with the same effort yeah. on better equipment, why would you? So what were, what were the stuff? sizes of your two brew houses? Uh, so the original one was a 10 barrel system and this is a 20. So, and we've got 40 barrel fermenters here, so, um, we can double batch into those and, um, uh, put some put some liquid uh, so actually out. even for the i mean considering how tiny that place was you still started out with a pretty large yeah uh, brew yeah. house yeah we and it got to i mean we didn't have a walk-in cooler there for uh probably the first five or six years of our operation so everything we did was um into a fermenter we had one bright tank it had no temperature control on it was a single wall tank <laughs> so in the winter time it worked really well but that's the only time it worked well. Yeah. Um, then it's like, hurry up, keg the beer, it's getting warm. Um, and and everything was making ship. You know, we didn't have room to store any beer. We didn't really have a need to um, do a lot of storage. And we started realizing because we didn't have enough beer for growler service, we couldn't keep enough kegs cold. Um, at one point, I went on Craigslist and got like six fridges and had them all lined up with a half <laughs> barrel in each one as a backup keg for the underbar cooler that we had. And then we finally like cobbled together some hack job of a walk-in cooler um, refrigerated with an air conditioner run through a temperature controller gizmo and this whole goofy rigged system. So uh, By the time I went there for the first time, you had... That's what you had in place. Yeah, so the, so the, you were you didn't have the uh, fill the growler at the bottom of the ramp. Experience. No, it you was had at the top the right, of the ramp. In, right inside the door. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, the bottom of the ramp was kind of back in that time. That was super sketchy. I think um, one of my favorite exchanges with a brewery employee ever was at that location. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was. Well, we were my brother in law and I were there. We were getting some growlers filled up. Yeah. And he ordered some fat Gary and then said something about us have it. We, ha we have an uncle Gary who's he's no longer fat. So, that, so if you can make a skinny Gary now, that'd be great. But right. he, he said so, like he made a joke about Gary and you're, it was just like the way the your your employee said it. He was like, everyone has a fat Gary. <laughs> and it, like it was just and it's true. The, the way he said it was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. It is. It is actually true. I I. I um, scientific fact yeah there's somebody <laughs> somebody in your world that that's uh, that's a big guy named gary so no matter no matter who you are it's always uh, uh seems to be a universal truth <laughs> so is that named after someone specific or just because there is always um, a it's named after someone specific it's a guy named named gary that used to uh, uh help me out in the early years um with uh, uh at the beer festivals and filling growlers at the brewery um and uh, that, that nickname was something he got in college um, back when none of us were fat at all. Uh, and, and, uh, and it stuck. He sort of grew into the name. Um, <laughs> and then we brewed a, I don't know if we have a, a can of it here. Yeah, we brewed a, a fatter Gary 
um, uh, bourbon barrel aged uh, version that we have in cans here and uh, uh, I had to admonish him like you, you this is not a suggestion yeah. this is not a this is not a I'm not I'm encouraging you to go in this direction but uh, but he was a guy who who didn't really care for hoppy beer and um, and and wanted something uh, I also wanted to brew something as a session beer um, that uh, a beer you can have at lunchtime and still you know operate in your afternoon something you can have with a sandwich or something and so um, I never forget we're working the Penn Brewfest and and Gary comes back over and you know because we would work a little bit and go have a beer and work a little bit and have a beer and so he comes back he's like oh did you try that IPA from Lagunitas and there's another there's another hoppy thing from so and so I'm like what are you talking about <laughs> what what happened to your what happened to, to Fat Gary where's my where's my I don't like hoppy beer guy and he's like well I I, I evolved <laughs> and and that's what that's what we what we have done as beer drinkers we've evolved you know. Um, our big hop, which in years past we were told was too hoppy by some people, we don't even refer to it as an IPA anymore. Oh, really? I yeah. didn't notice yeah. that. Yeah, we've kind of just like quietly stopped using IPA in the description of it because. Well, it's a very malt for like by today's standards. Certainly it's by very, today's standards, yeah. A very malt forward yeah. IPA. Yeah, and and I, calling it an IPA sets up uh, an expectation that I don't think the beer meets in in today's standards of what a hoppy beer would be although i don't um, know we've kind of come all the way down to a new place where <laughs> ipa can al- almost just be interchanged with beer right it's it's <laughs> yeah it's more of a become a, become a marketing term more than a, a a style descriptor in in some ways um but yeah it's uh we've thought about like well maybe we should change the recipe make it into make it into a, we make it into a west coast ipa we make it into a new a new england ipa what do we you know what do we do with this and the reality is Big Hop is about forty percent of what we make uh, as a brewery. That's a yeah, lot. You don't want to mess. That's with a that. lot of you know people that have an expectation that Big Hop is going to taste like Big Hop. So um, we decided to leave it as is and release other hoppier stuff. You know, so we've got a whole bunch of New England style hazy beers, pale ales, IPAs, and double IPAs. We've got an all Citra IPA coming out next week called Green Giant. Um, so we have all, you know, and we've got a double IPA version of a West Coaster that's bigger hop. Um, so, so I still have a swing top. Oh, wow. From Hopefully there's no beer in it. No, there's okay. not any beer in it. Yeah. I, I never made it back to get my <laughs> $3 deposit for it. <laughs> there's probably a couple of those st- stuck on the, uh, on the other side of the I-beam here. I don't know if you saw any of the growlers yeah, that stacked up there. I glanced through real quick. Yeah. Yeah, wow, that's a that's a that's a point in time. Those those uh, one liter swing top bottles, they were a little problematic. Uh, eventually, we said, yeah, we need to just do a twenty. Not worth the. Yeah. Um, was that was that the first beer you packaged, or was gratitude? Gratitude was the first one we packaged, I believe. Um, yeah, and we did that in a in the 750 with the paper overwrap and the wax and the yeah. So I was going to ask you to te- like uh, yeah. tell the story of this because I, I loved the I hate barley wines. Yeah, but I always wanted to buy it just because I loved the stories and I love. There was the one year where you you sold like a big. It was going to be the last. I think it was the last time where you had the first year of it. Right. And right. you sold a whole the vertical. stacked verticals. Yeah. 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 And I wanted to buy it so bad, but yeah. I don't like barley wines. <laughs> that's a good reason to yeah. not buy beer. I mean, that's I'm, honestly in today's world, where where I swear, where there there are some people that just want to 
take the picture of the beer and have the beer and show their friends that they have the beer. It's like you're also allowed to drink the beer. Yeah. And if you don't want to drink the beer, it just don't, you probably don't need the beer. Why do you, what do you, you know, um, I, I, it's a little bit, it's a little bit strange for me that, that there's a, um, a, a, it's almost like a fetishizing of, uh, of, of collectors, but I guess that exists in any, in any world. Yeah. You anytime could, there's know. something that you could collect, there's people who take right. it to, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure there's people really that, into I'm, I'm sure there's people that collect stamps that don't really write letters to people, you yeah. know, they're just really, <laughs> really into collecting. And so it's, you know, it's part of it. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't rain on their parade because everybody can get happy however they need to. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we, uh, it was our very first year of, uh, of operation. And, um, um, I decided that I wanted to do a barley wine, um, that first year, which is ambitious cause I was still kind of learning how to use the equipment and, um, and barley wine is like the, that's like the final exam of, uh, <laughs> of your brew day. So, um, we stuffed 2000, pounds of malt into a 10 barrel mash tun that really wasn't designed for it the screens actually got kind of bent uh, uh by all of the weight um and and uh and produced this beer it was a 20 hour brew day um i remember coming in at 5 a.m and i didn't go home until 1 a.m um but that was partly because it was a single batch, but we also did a small beer, a second runnings beer. And I say we, I had a, my friend um, Keith, uh, Keith Cost, who's like a, a super duper beer judge guy um, and, and, uh, and on again, off again consultant for East End Brewing from, from the <laughs> early days. Um, uh, he helped out for uh, a good part of that day um, on that brew day. Although I think maybe that was the day that there was, I think he brought a TV in to watch the Steeler game or something. Um, so I had some of his attention at any rate. Um, he also helped with the formulation of gratitude originally. Uh, so then, then we, uh, yeah, we fermented this beast out to, uh, you know, like 11, 11 and a half percent alcohol and, uh, decided to bottle it all in 750 ml bottles, um, based on a package design that, um, another friend of mine, Ben Verneau, who's, uh, who's, um, living in Germany right now, um, he had brought me a bottle of his barley wine in like a little, it was a, I think it was a, uh, a little eight ounce bottle with this hand silk screened wheat pasted on paper. Uh, he didn't do wax on the top, but it was like this gorgeous. I still have this bottle somewhere around here. Uh, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is beautiful. Can I, can we, can you show me how to do this? And I want to do this with the spear. And so, uh, a friend of his had a screen printing, uh, access to screen printing and um, we she also did the design the very first bird uh, and has done all of the gratitude birds uh, throughout the years uh, Mary Tremonte uh, who actually just moved back to Pittsburgh so that's we actually brought back this paper overwrap this past year so um, yeah because for a while you stopped doing the yeah the fancy bottles yeah it was um, so we started out with um, um, I actually have a bottle of the original 2005 sitting on my desk upstairs that my sister gave me. She had it stashed at her house <laughs> for, for years. Um, but it, um, the, the labels were hand silk screened. They're printed on cut down grain bags, brown paper grain bags that I took and, and cut to, to size. And then we hand silk screened two, two colors on those. Um, I don't think I helped with the silk screening on that one. I helped with later ones. At any rate, um, yeah, this elaborate process where you put wheat paste on a table um, 
then then lay a label into it and then put more wheat paste on and then roll the bottle in it and spend like 10 minutes getting the the bubbles out and getting it smooth on the on there and then it has to sit for a week and dry and then you turn it upside down in a box so the bottom can dry for another few days and then you dip each one in in wax and then i would sign and number each one by hand and it was just this absurd amount of effort into this you know tiny little amount of liquid um and so it uh we stayed after the first year, we're like, wow, that was really cool. Oh, we did red. Maybe we should just go Roy G. Biv and through the color spectrum. So when we finally hit um, violet at the end, I said, I need to get off this train. This is killing because we had also stepped it up from 700 bottles to like 1,500 bottles. And it was just this like weight. Cumbersome. Over top. Yeah. yeah. And include a couple of years where like. We had no real climate control in the old brewery, and so it would go from cold to steaming hot, you know, over the course of a brew day. And I opened up um, uh, a batch that had been fully labeled, signed, numbered, waxed, the whole thing, and I opened up the box, and it was the whole box was full of mold because it just got wet. Oh, and this is like a uh, half of a pallet of it. Yeah. And I was just, like, heartbroken. Uh, like, what am I going to do? Like, dust this off. It looks awful. And people were like, wow, that looks cool. I'm like, uh, <laughs> That's something hard like, to feel uh, good about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it looked very weathered. But, yeah, um, yeah so, so after uh, uh, lots of pain and suffering for many years, I said, okay, i got to get off this train. And we're not going to do this, uh, this overwrap again. Um, and so then we had a few years. Uh, another, so after we did Roy G. Biv, we went back to the beginning and did uh, red, orange, yellow again. And then uh, this past year, uh, the release for green, because Mary moved back to Pittsburgh, we decided to put the band back together and, uh, <laughs> and do another pass. So um, uh, unfortunately, Ben was still uh, out of the country, but uh, she and I did the silk screening. And we did a limited run of just like 250 bottles um, of the paper over wrap, and then the rest of them, the more traditional, you know, bomber with wax and a and a wraparound label. And um, um, you you can can them too, right? We or can, yeah, we can the. Uh, I should go get some props. Um, we can the uh, the the barrel aged version. Okay. So a couple of years ago, we started to add a uh, a bourbon barrel aged version of uh, gratitude to the annual release and. Uh, so um, that takes some planning. Basically, you got to, you know, put it in the barrels a year in advance at least um, if you're going to get the result you want. And so, yeah, we do those in 16-ounce cans because who doesn't need a 16-ounce can yeah. of, <laughs> of, of 11.5% barley wine yeah, it's uh, a, it, to start that, your morning? For some reason, that's a weird thought of a barley wine in a can to yeah. me. Like, yeah. There's no reason for it to be weird. Right, but right. It's just, it's yeah, we were like, well, this, is, this would be a... a really kind of bold and potentially dumb thing to do that's <laughs> right right in our real house yeah yeah so we've been doing that for a, for a few years now so yeah i came so close to buying that vertical but it literally would have just been me to purchase it to put it on the <laughs> shelf or something because it looked yeah. cool but yeah and we were doing the stack verticals where it was like one bottle of the red two of the yeah, orange the... three of the yellow and it was like up to like i think we had like 12 bottles total in the set um uh, I think we had about a dozen of those packs, and uh, and we did burn through all of them. Um, if I remember, it was like two hundred and fifty dollars, or something like around that price. Yeah, I forget what it shook out because we would every, every year we hung on to the barley wine. We yeah. would up the price at like three bucks or something. Um, and so by the time you got to, uh, or maybe it was more than three bucks. I'm not sure. It's been a few years. Um, 
But so yeah, by the time you had like six years worth, the 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 red one was uh, was a little yeah. spendy, um, uh, and you could only get it as part of the pack. So, uh, but I'll tell you the uh, a side story. So, um, uh, Al from Pizza Boy Brewing, um, I've known him for uh, for a few years, and uh, uh, he came out to that release day when we did the stacked verticals, and classiest move I've ever seen at a beer release. So this dude buys one of the one of the twelve sets, twelve bottle sets, uh, takes out the red wax bottle, opens it up on the spot, pours a little bit into his glass, and just passes hands, it, hands it out. And it was just like, look at that, look at that guy <laughs> did. Um, it was just like a really like classy move. It made a made a uh, made a uh, an impression on me for sure. Um, uh, and we've had a good a good relationship. We've done a lot of collaborations together. Oh. See, I bought a bottle of Utopias once yeah. and um, would give it to anyone who wanted to try it. So people yeah. thought I was just really generous. Yeah. It was because I thought it was disgusting. <laughs> and, and, and maybe, it, it I, just, you know what? I didn't ask Al. Maybe that was the case. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> his was like, being, oh. his was altruistic. Yeah. But uh. like the, uh, everyone, altruistic. <laughs> ah, nicely done. But, um, uh. But with me, it was purely just that. Get this out of my. Yeah. If yeah. it wouldn't have been so expensive, it would have been a drain for. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So it's um, one of the beers I tried today um, was part of your hazy groupings. The, yeah. Uh, Chance of showers. Yeah. Those are Although you have to, you gotta, Yeah. You got you to put the Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh spin on it. Yeah. I've, I've been gone long enough. I've lost that. Yeah. I don't really have that Pittsburgh accent, although I'm a born and raised guy, but um, I kind of somehow came out with like a CNN accent or something. <laughs> it's like no accent, but yeah. Chance of showers is probably the, uh, the best, uh, the best pronunciation of that, that I could conjure up. But you've definitely had, um, quite a few in the hazy series that are really yeah. good like i've really enjoyed oh, the um the pennsylvania handshake series with yeah. pizza boy yeah or yeah. ales of hampton owls of hampton ales yeah. Of, yeah yeah so um yeah owls instead of ales yeah. i've read it that way as well but the uh yeah the pennsylvania handshake the original version and then the strawberry handshake that we just did and we're actually doing another um shake style beer that'll be out um in uh, early August, uh, we're doing something with uh, the guys from 412 Food Rescue. I should say the gals. They're probably most. It's probably more of a women-driven organization than men. I'm so sexist. <laughs> um, but um, the folks at uh, 412 Food Rescue, which do these, they do this great work where um, they take surplus food uh, that exists everywhere in our food system, and they redirect that to people who are. Uh, uh, at food risk, or, uh, or I should say, uh, they don't have access to, to what they need. Um, so, as a fundraiser for them, um, we've uh, we've been stockpiling uh, all kinds of different fruit, uh, all kinds of berries. So, um, strawberries, mulberries, cherries, blueberries, blackberries, um, and we're going to produce a, uh, a a beer called um, uh, Rescue Berry Shake. Oh, cool. Uh, and it'll be a, a, a handshake style, a milkshake-style IPA uh, that'll benefit the, the efforts at 412 Food Rescue that they do in our area to, to help 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 uh, solve two problems, really. Um, because the, they, they have these – check out their website. They've got these crazy statistics about, like, 40% of food being wasted. 
just not eating. And I'm not talking about like not finishing what's on your plate. I'm talking about like buying oh, stuff the, and just throwing it away. Yeah, or like the tomatoes got a little bit soft, so the grocery store can't sell them. Okay. Um, yeah. And then basically, that's what these are. You know. So do I care that the strawberries are a little bit bruised? No, they're going to get pureed and go into a beer. Yeah. This is not. This is not a waste product. This is actually a legitimate uh, food product still. Um, and so we're happy to, to turn that into a, a, a delicious beer, or hopefully a delicious beer. So are the hazy beers, is that a trend in a beer that you enjoy, or you're making them because it's very popular? Uh, I'm, I, well, you know, we're still a business here. We still need to, to um, um, if a consumer is screaming at us and saying yeah. we want something, we should, we'd be an idiot to, to, as long as we're not selling our soul to do it. Uh, but at the same time, I also enjoy the styles. I enjoy the beers. Um, uh, there's something about a, uh, a, a beer like our Partly Cloudy, which was the original, uh, um, again, said in a Pittsburgh accent. Um, and we say, if you, if you say Partly Cloudy, uh, we'll shoot you with a gum band. Uh, <laughs> that's the more Pittsburgh jokes for your, for your listeners. Um, but uh, those beers have a broader appeal. There's those, um, and and as, a, as an industry, craft beer needs to bring more people into the boat. How do we sustain 34 breweries in Allegheny County? Easy. Get more people drinking craft beer. Yeah. Um, and and then, then there is no bubble. There is no, no uh, 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 culling of the herd that happens. Uh, and those beers are a great way to bring people into the boat. Yeah, that, uh, it definitely seems to have made cra- um, craft beer way more accessible to yeah. people who would just say they didn't like craft beer because they don't like bitter beer right or. right and actually i you know like our so our pedal pale ale um this is a, a an american pale ale it's not hazy it's uh, uh shockingly clear for an east end brewing beer actually um we <laughs> don't own a filter at all but um but it's not hazy and it has a bitter finish to the way a pale ale an american pale ale should uh and i i I like those beers. They have a very distinct beginning, middle, end to them. But at the same time, a hazy beer has a completely different like progression as you as you drink that beer. Uh, and also, it changes in the glass as you go down toward the bottom part of the glass. You have a different a different perception than you would a beer like Petal Pale Ale. And you definitely seem to have embraced the trend of sours too. Yeah, in yeah. The gozas and all the different versions is the. And that's that is a style I find myself much more uh, into lately than ever. Like before, yeah. I just thought they were gross, uh, <laughs> and, and now, yeah. And there's still some people that'll be, you know, and but like any like any other like a hazy beer style or even in a, a traditional, you know, uh, American IPA, uh, there are ones that are made well, and there are ones that are uh, that could be made better. Um, uh, same thing with with um, sour beer production. There's some that have some off off aromas and flavors in them, um, and there's uh, and there's ones that are nice and clean and and bright and 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 hit the mark. So, Is that a popular style in the Pittsburgh area? I think you'll see a fair amount of uh, uh, kettle sour um, beers. There's a couple of brewers that that swear against kettle sours and yeah. do all their lactose stuff on the on the cold side, um, but um, we have. Um, uh, a foot in both camps, as in typical East End fashion, where you know, always try to find the middle path to, yeah. to uh, be a little bit of everything. Um, but uh, you know, like so the the yeah the watermelon, the seedless watermelon goza that we have here, uh, that's a kettle sour. Um, the the Moonstomp uh, uh, double hopped uh, Berliner Weiss uh, is a kettle sour. Um, but we've got um, 
that all said, we've got probably 70 uh, barrels on the on the so-called dirty side of the of the brewery uh, uh, of sour beer aging um, and Just stuff some with funky stuff growing. In yeah, them. Brett Brett character, uh, primarily Brett driven um, uh, uh, secondary fermentations. I don't think we have any primary Brett fermentations going on at the moment, um, but we have done. We've taken our big hop and. Uh, did a uh, a Brett and Lacto primary fermentation in the dairy tank that we have, and then transferred that over to uh, to wine barrels to age for a couple of years. And that beer is kind of kind of wonderfully spectacular and complicated. Um, it almost has a Campari like uh, aspect to it. If you're if you if you've ever had Campari, um, it's kind of herbal. Um, you get the bitterness from the hops in it, but there's this sour and this roller coaster ride of pithy and sweet, and uh, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty fantastic. We've got another batch. We'll be getting out of the barrels here, hopefully uh, before the year's out. Nice. Um, and you have you have multiple locations now too, correct? Yeah, we've got our um, well, just one production location, yeah. which is where we are today. Um, but our uh, our our tap room in the Strip District, um, we've been pouring beer in the Strip for. I want to say about seven years now. Um, uh, the tap room's only been in operation for two years. I um, bet you there's about five thousand or so people who just listen to you refer to that or like a strip district. Strip with, that's true. And I have a completely like, different yeah. idea of what. Yeah, what this section yeah that's of not what is. that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not what you what you may be thinking. Um, yeah, the strip refers to a uh, a part of uh, a neighborhood in Pittsburgh where there was a long strip. Um, where the rail lines would come in, and there's uh, the, the fundamental defining characteristic of the Strip District is this terminal building, which is about a quarter mile long. And it's basically, it used to house a, a railroad to go in, and then trucks would pull up um, on both sides of it, and that's where the food came into the city. And then it all went out, and that happened you know, every morning before the crack of dawn, and then uh, uh, all the, the produce and everything would be delivered to all the spots around town, the grocery stores and everything. So still referred to as the Strip, uh, uh, and it's a uh, it's probably Pittsburgh's food center still. Yeah. Uh, historically has been, but um, people tend to associate it with that. But, uh, yeah, it's a, neat, it's a really interesting neighborhood, um, and the development down there is kind of going bonkers right now with every big building being turned into lofts and condos and whatever so so rapid rapidly changing but we're there to pour beer to help people through that transition is it so is it you had two others uh no just just that just the one satellite location yeah so prior to the the tap room we um we were part of the pittsburgh public market in both of its former incarnations there were two different uh uh locations uh where they operated and that was basically just a little growler booth okay um and then as the licensing loosened in Pennsylvania, you could actually drink a pint. If you want to go drink a pint in a farmer's market, it's a little weird. But, yeah. uh, uh, but eventually that, uh, uh, that, that folded, and then we found a more permanent uh, place to hang our hat. So. And I believe that um, when you release beer... If it runs out at the tap room, there is more beer at the brewery. That's right. The bre- the, so in case you wouldn't think of this naturally, um, there's more beer at the brewery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, I know exactly what you're referring to, the, uh, the, the uh, people losing their minds um, because we ran out of beer and because the beer was popular. Yeah. And, and, and why wouldn't you bring two pallets of beer down into a into a, a small tiny area. little space where you have a single reach-in cooler to store it in 
hoping that it would all sell that same day. Yeah, so I'd love to be able to predict the future. But uh, now, whereas though, yeah. uh, at least in definitely in Maryland, um, uh, there's brewery owners kind of keep an arm's length to the beer drinking groups on Facebook, but you seem to actively embrace and interact more than I see most brewery owners yeah, with I, uh, the, the Pittsburgh beer drinking group. Yeah, some yes and no. I Sometimes, yeah, I, I'm trying to be there to, to provide information or to, you know, people who are scratching their heads wondering what what's the story with whatever I may offer a, an explanation, but... Um, it can be, you know, people are different online than they are in, in real life. Definitely as, have strong as, opinions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and 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 there's certain groups that can can get a little toxic, uh, and in spite of what the moderator's best work to try to you know clean stuff up, and that can be happen on the big, you know, um, the the sites that I used to frequent, like uh, Beer Advocate and Rate Beer yeah. and things like that too. Um, but um, yeah, opinions are uh, are. Uh, uh, willfully shared uh, whether they should be or not um, to, to those on, on those sites but yeah I try to try to engage where we can if things get silly I, I back out I, 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 yeah I don't need to worry about that all right so speaking of reviews um, I end a lot of episodes asking the person what is the most ridiculous review um, you've ever received mm -hmm. and my regular listeners have heard this multiple times but this kind of stemmed from one of Frederick's local breweries got a, re a review when they first opened that started with, have you ever been someplace you just knew wouldn't be around in a year? So <laughs> if you can think of any uh, wow. review along those lines, that's the type of stuff we're wow. looking for. Yeah, the, uh, the one that comes to mind is, um, uh, I don't like stouts, one star. Yeah, that, that's a that's, that's a, a typical. That's a that's a yeah. You may have heard that. Yeah, uh, yeah that, but I've actually been in the receiving end of those for our beers. Yeah. Like, well then. Why, why, why were you why were you ordering a stout? What's what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like to get punched in the eye either, so I don't know. I'll try to try to not not bring that into my world. Um, yeah, some sometimes the uh, um, I, I we've been we've been criticized here. Uh, we got a scathing review one time um, because we um, a brewery of this size um, should have food. And they're like, well, that's a restaurant. You're thinking yeah. of a restaurant. <laughs> We're not a restaurant, not yet. Although we are, yeah. uh, uh, um, if you, if your, if your viewers would be able to cast their gaze to that direction, we are actually constructing a restaurant. Well, kitchen I'll use that first few minutes that I forgot to hit record on the, there you go. <laughs> the video to show people. So, yeah. so you will have already seen the area right. that he's referring right. to. <laughs> um, so, so yes, that that area you saw earlier. Um, but yeah, it was just a, an interesting uh, idea um, uh, uh, to. to have an expectation that a brewery and i don't know what brewery of our size means yeah, that, does that mean we're big does that mean we're small is that i mean this is a production facility that has a yeah. that has a tap room that we've you know then turned into a pub um but uh, uh especially with the addition of a, of a of a kitchen but i mean we have food trucks here um and maybe it was a day that the food truck didn't show up or something or i don't know also that happens here too it's oh, like an epidemic oh, in yeah. the 
that, yeah. that must be a universal thing for yeah. like the people it's, who run food trucks. It's it's hard. You know, it's working in the truck, especially in this summer heat, is is uh, is brutal. Um, not only do they have a kitchen that has subject to, to whatever mechanical issues that a yeah. kitchen has, but they also then have a vehicle yeah. uh, that's, subject, that's to. subject to whatever whatever problems a vehicle may have, and those can be those can be hard miles. You know, they can be a hard a hard uh, hard traveling on a, with a kitchen on wheels. So. Yeah, they get you know, I mean, just a simple flat tire, yeah. um, and then they're and then they miss their their uh, their engagement. So, yeah. well, I think and then the, and then it's our fault because there's well, no food. I, th- I mean, I think the moral <laughs> of the story is you should be ashamed of yourself for yes. not having a kitchen here. Of course, yeah. Every day I hang my head, can hardly face myself. <laughs> um, but we are we are in the process of doing it, and actually we're really excited about what's happening with the kitchen because we've got. Um, uh, uh, a partnership happening with like Pittsburgh's top chef uh, nice. Justin Severino is going to be doing doing food in in this room. So, um, yeah, we're thrilled to to have uh, Justin and Hillary be become a part of, of what we're doing here. So, um, so if you if you're if you if you're in Pittsburgh, check out Cure and Morcia restaurants. Um, probably the the two of the top restaurants in the city. Um, what we're going to be doing here will be considerably less formal than what they're doing at Cure and Morcia, but. Um, uh, but uh, no less uh, exciting, certainly from our perspective. When do you anticipate that being open? Uh, we're probably looking at uh, late in this calendar year or beginning of, uh, of next. Um, so we've got, a, got some, some ground to cover. Um, I think we're sitting in what will be like the dish room right now. So, okay. Uh, yeah. All right, so another thing that we do around here um, hmm. is end each episode with doing a shot of this hopped whiskey that I made with my oh, friends nice. at McClintock Distilling in downtown Frederick. So it's a, it's a single malt, uh, 100% chocolate malt whiskey. Chocolate with, malt. Yeah. Wow. And it, um, it has UK golden and Meridian hops that were uh, seven pounds of them put into the gin basket. Okay. So they're nice. vapor infused into them. Nice. I would I would say so that I, I um, operate a still for recreational purposes at home, but that's illegal. Yes, you definitely so I won't do say not that do that. That. Would, that would definitely not not happen. But I'm I'm fascinated by the notion of chocolate malt, 100% chocolate malt. Yeah, all wow. chocolate malt. How do you get any fermentables out of that? That's kind of like a pretty dark malt. Neat. Well, it's probably I I would assume that they use distiller's yeast on it, which yeah. seems to eat everything. So right. It, right. Yep. And cheers. Cheers. And so thank you for having me out. Yeah, thanks for um, uh, for coming out and thanks for bringing something special. And here uh, to one more thank you to Craft uh, Alliance Packaging Solutions. And thank you everyone for watching and listening. Cheers. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.